All right, we're going to, uh, we've been looking at the story of uh, the Christmas family is the kind of my series theme this uh, month. And uh, I haven't actually, I went back through my Christmas series and messages and I haven't spent a lot of time in recent years talking about uh, the main characters of the Christmas story. And so I'm going to do that this year. And uh, last week, uh, we looked at the genealogy and the heritage of the Christian family, uh, Christmas family, and why. And last week specifically, we learned that Matthew's account of uh, genealogy was there specifically to teach us that there was a reason why Joseph could not be the biological f- father of Jesus, that uh, because Jeconiah, who had been cursed uh, by um, the prophet Jeremiah for his ungodliness, was in Joseph's family tree that the Messiah could not come through Joseph uh, because Jeconiah was back there in his family tree. So this week we're going to go on and we're going to look this week at Joseph. And next week we'll look at uh, Mary. And then the week after that we will look at uh, Jesus. So uh, Matthew chapter uh, 1 verses 18 through 25 And in your pew Bibles, that's page 966, if I remember right. Uh, But this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph is by some accounts, kind of the forgotten man of Christmas. He is Joseph the Silent. In all of the accounts, whether you look at Matthew or you look at uh, Luke, the two Gospels that really tell us the the Christmas story, um, he is silent. He never utters a word, not even a syllable of a word. He is talked to. He is talked about. But he never opens his mouth and never speaks a word in all of the scriptures. Joseph kind of has, if he was in Hollywood, he has the role of an extra. <laughs> he has, um, has a character with very minor credits. And so here he is in the Christmas story. He's not really the father of Jesus, but he's there. I ask you, what do you know about Joseph? Not much, I would dare say. Um, You know that he was righteous, that he was blameless, 
that he was obedient. Outside of that, you and I really don't know much about Joseph. And I suspect that we have a little bit of that nagging fear inside of us that if we are righteous and blameless and obedient, like Joseph, we will kind of be like him also in being forgotten in the midst of a boring life. (laughs) That somehow or another we will have a character with minor credits in all of life. And I want to suggest to you that just the opposite is true because Joseph is a remarkable, remarkable man. Joseph, in this text, is betrothed. Now that's a lot different than being engaged in our American culture. Betrothal was a very deep commitment. It was more than just a commitment to get married. It was, it was such a level of a commitment in Jewish culture that once you were betrothed, in order to break off the relationship, you actually had to go get a divorce. So it was, it was a real high commitment to be betrothed. It was a greater commitment than, than our American engagement. The other thing about Joseph is that he is probably an older man. Um, girls were often married by about the age of 14 years of age in that culture. And so that's what we think Mary was, very young girl. But men, the Jewish law required that they be able to do three things before they could be betrothed. One is they had to be able to provide food, second clothing, thirdly shelter. And they had to be able to demonstrate that and prove that they could do that. Now a lot of times... In that culture, you live with your grandparents and your parents all in one house and all of that. So providing the shelter wasn't necessarily so much of a struggle except for making room for one more person (laughs) and one more family in the house and all of that. Um, But it was a very different culture than you and I live in. The other thing that our text tells us is that Joseph and Mary though they were betrothed, had not been sexually active. And yet Mary is pregnant, and she is beginning to show. Now Joseph obviously knows all the facts that I've just shared with you. He knows it all. Mary knows all those facts. But Joseph does not know that this child in her womb at this point is conceived of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now that's a problem. Joseph is embarrassed because he and Mary are the only ones who know for sure that he is not the father. And what is he to assume, and what would we assume, any different than he? He would assume that she has had an affair, and his options as to what to do in this situation are very tough, and they are very few. Jewish law provided two options for him. Number one was the harsh option. He could publicly humiliate her, 
and make her an example to the entire community and bring the community out to stone her to death. That was still being done in this day by Jews, and they were allowed to do that under Roman law. But secondly, the, the option that they called the lenient option, <laughs> where Joseph could quietly um, divorce her and then send her back to live with her family under the conditions that she and her child in that culture would be shunned for the rest of their entire lives. And Joseph was not comfortable with either one of those options. But we have already been told, especially if you're reading in the King James or some of the other translations, that he is righteous and blameless. The way the NIV, the new NIV um, puts it, um, he was faithful to the law. That's where you get the same word that is translated righteous or blameless. He was righteous and blameless and he had a heart to do the right thing in every situation. So he was very careful about observing the law. He was, he was a young man, or, or maybe a little older man, but you know, somewhere in there, he was very careful. He had been grown, he had been taught to observe the law and to do it well. And he wanted to do that, and he also valued his reputation. He cared very deeply about what other people thought of him. And he did not know what the right thing to do was in this circumstance. So God provides a third option. Now I want you to notice this. Religion offers this option and that option. And God comes along and offers a third option. There are some times when you and I need to step outside of our cultural and religious experiences and say, God, is there another option? Because sometimes we get so zeroed in on what our culture and the way we have done things in our culture or the way our group of religious people do things that we cut ourselves off from other options. And God came and gave Joseph a third option. And he came to him in a dream. And he says to Joseph, I want you to take Mary home as your wife. That wasn't even an option until God came along. And God says, take Mary home as your wife, and then he tells Joseph why. And he gives him some background and some information. And he says she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now that's really vital, helpful information to Joseph. But is anyone else going to believe it? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, when it comes down to it, that really helps Joseph. And he does what God tells him to do. 
But in the eyes of all the religious people and in the eyes of all the people at church and the eyes of the whole community, this doesn't solve any problems for Joseph or Mary. I just want you to keep that in mind. That obedience to God does not guarantee that it's going to solve all the problems. It just means that you've been obedient to God. That you've been righteous, blameless, and obedient. When you are righteous, when you are blameless, when you are obedient, does not mean that it's going to take away all your problems. For Joseph and Mary, it probably created some problems. I mean, it saved Mary from being stoned, and it saved Mary from being shunned. (laughs) But it didn't mean that life was all of a sudden easy for her at this point. Now, one of the other things you should know about this culture is that in Jewish culture at this time, if you were believed to have been guilty of adultery, you were from that point on unmarriageable. That would change things in our culture, wouldn't it? (laughs) Wow. So, the way it was normally done, Joseph would not even be allowed to marry. Mary. That was to compromise for Joseph to step out and do what the angel of the Lord told him to do would be to compromise his character, his reputation in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of public opinion. To obey God was going to cost Joseph. And it was going to cost him big time. People would think less of him. His reputation would be tarnished and there was no way for him to exonerate himself. Now I want you to put that in this perspective. All of this happens to Joseph and Joseph hasn't done anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Joseph, Joseph is just like, I'm a bystander here. <laughs> Joseph, the whole Christmas story could have happened without him. I mean, did, did God need Joseph to have Jesus? He used the Virgin Mary to produce Jesus. He could have done that if she had not been betrothed. If she had not been engaged, if she had never gotten married, he could have had Jesus. Right? But God chose to involve this innocent human being who was righteous and blameless and obedient in the Christmas story. Wow. Pretty pretty intriguing what happens there. And it didn't really improve his life at all. When Christ comes into your life story, you cannot count that God will always do what you want him to do or what you expect him to do. Don't count on that. Oftentimes, God will mess up your life. 
And in the end, you will not regret it. Joseph went and took Mary home as his wife. And the scriptures tell us that he did not have marital relations with her um, until after Jesus was born, which is certain evidence to me that he continued to be righteous and blameless and obedient. And then another interesting thing that we learn from Luke is that at that point, Joseph sends her off. I think maybe to protect her from public opinion, from all the, you know, all the words that were being shared around from village to village and all the talking and gossip and all of that. He sent her away for six months to visit Elizabeth, her aged aunt, who was too old to bear children, and yet she was pregnant with John the Baptist. And they went and they ministered to each other for six months, and then she comes back home to Joseph. Now, it's interesting, in this passage you see it once, but in, if you go over to Luke and back and forth, every time the angel speaks to Joseph, the angel does something interesting. The, jo- the angel says, Joseph, son of David. Why does he do that? Because here's a person who, who has been righteous and holy and obedient And no one else thinks that of him now. <laughs> no one else really respects him. The whole, the whole mindset of everyone in his life has changed. And God comes and he speaks to Joseph and he says, Joseph, son of David. You know, the interesting thing is, is that God was interested when the rest of the world kind of wanted to step out and walk away and put their space between them and Joseph. God came near and said, Joseph, you are still the son of David. You are still a descendant of the greatest king of all Israel. And you know, when you and I struggle in our Christian walk or when when because we are being faithful to God, we have disappointments or struggles along the way. God is there and he wants to speak to each one of us and he wants to say to us, you are a child of the King of Kings. He doesn't just call us by our name. He calls us and reminds us who we are in him. And God wants to do that for you. Max Lucado writes that Joseph obeyed. He didn't substitute questions for obedience. I mean, Joseph could have, could have just not done anything for a long time just by asking questions. And he would have been justified in that. <laughs> but he obeyed. He obeyed the angel. He obeyed Mary when she gave her explanation. He obeyed in confusion when he didn't understand what was going on. When he didn't know everything, Joseph obeyed God. He did what he knew to do. He shut down his business. He packed up his family. He moved to Egypt uh, because God told him to. Whatever God told him to do, he just did it. A man is never righteous 
A woman is never righteous unless they have learned to trust God in confusion. The longer you live, the more you will run into and bump into times in your life when you're just confused and you don't know what to do. (laughs) And it is in those times that you need to learn to trust God and to obey God when he speaks. That's how you know you're really becoming righteous when you start to trust God in confusing times. The first part of what I want to share this morning with you is simply this, that Joseph was a man of character. And God wants you and I to be like Joseph. He wants us to have a character, and not just a character, but a godly character, a righteous character. He wants us uh, to be people that, that our community can count on being steady and solid and faithful, regardless of what our circumstances are. God wants to know that he can count on us in our communities. That's one of the, that's one of the traditions. That's not a good word, but that, that's, that's who we are as a church here at Johnson Corners. You can go back through the years and, and some of the old saints that long ago have passed away. I, I'm so glad I got to come to Johnson Corners in 1996 because, you know, within my first two years of being here, we lost several of the old saints, and I'm really glad I got to know them. Really super glad I got to know them. Um, <laughs> they, they were such awesome people, but they had lived their lives well. They were those righteous, holy, blameless, obedient kind of people. And and that's who God wants us to continue to be at Johnson Corners. He wants us to be that kind of just solid, steady people like Joseph. The second thing I want to share with you this morning is shorter, thankfully. Um, And that is that not only did Joseph have a character that was godly, but Joseph provides a challenge to us. In addition to taking Mary home as his wife, Joseph was given the responsibility of naming the child. Big deal, right? It was. It really was a big deal in that culture. To give a child their name in Jewish culture and then to be told what to name it. And the angel told Joseph, you will name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. To name a child in that culture was to make that child legally your child. And so here is a man who is not the biological father of Jesus. He's just kind of been along for the ride and all of a sudden he's thrown into all of this and there is a pregnant virgin 
Nine months later, a baby. And God tells him, I want you to name the child. And it was more than just naming the child. It was a man saying, I'm going to step in. I'm going to step up. I'm going to be involved. Jesus becomes the legal son of Joseph, even though he was not the biological son. Now, last week, I remind you that we looked at the fact that Joseph could not be the biological father of Jesus because he was of the bloodline of Jeconiah, who had been cursed by the prophet Jeremiah. And yet, in spite of that history, in spite of that, that evil man Jeconiah and his family tree, between David and him, Joseph chose to be that man of character, that man who was righteous and blameless and obedient. But then he did something else. He was more than just a man of character. He was a man who stepped in and stepped up to the plate. And he became the real father, not biological, but the real practical father of the Lord Jesus. Joseph did this in a number of ways. Joseph did this by protecting Jesus. When Herod wants to kill all the babies, Joseph picks up the family and he moves them to Egypt. Not something small. He shuts down his business. He moves his family. For two years they live in a foreign place. But he protects the life of Mary and he protects the life of Jesus down there in Egypt. And when when King Herod finally dies, Joseph brings them Um, brings the family back home and and moves them to Nazareth. Um, Where, it's interesting, the scandal, now quieter, still exists. It's not forgotten, but there's still a little murmur probably out there in the community from time to time that Jesus grew up hearing. But Joseph moves the family there in the midst of all of that. But secondly, Jesus is fathered by a man who is a carpenter. Now, a carpenter is, of course, one who works with wood and builds all kinds of things. But in that culture, a carpenter was like most other people in that they all had their own garden uh, that they tended and they tried to raise enough food to get through the whole year in their garden. And they would raise their own animals so that they would have meat as a family and eggs and all of that kind of stuff. And then he would be the neighborhood carpenter who would build furniture, who would build doors and beams and gates and plows and yokes and whatever else was needed in the neighborhood. And Jesus grew up in a culture where he would have been trained to be a carpenter. He would have learned to work with his hands. He would have been taught a trade. And I personally think that's very significant. I think a lot of times we get the idea that there is the spiritual and there is the secular and there is this and there is that and, and you know, this 
occupation is put up on a pedestal while this one is not and and that kind of thing. And I think it's very significant that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, sent his son to earth to be our savior, to die on a cross for our sins. Very, very spiritual role. And how does God prepare the Savior of the world to die for you and I on a cross? He puts him in carpentry school. And has him do something very hands-on, very practical, very work-oriented. He has someone mentor him. He has someone apprentice him. He has him grow up in the world of physical work. And I want to remind you that I I firmly believe this, friends. The scripture teaches that physical work makes healthy, holy people. (laughs) Physical work makes healthy, holy people. I say it again. (laughs) Physical work makes healthy, holy people. We need to remember that in our culture, in the day and age in which we live. And, And God designed the Savior of the world to come and grow up in this house that believed in physical work. Carpentry and apprenticeship. I um, relate a little bit to this story because I I grew up and I lost my dad um, when I was um, almost six years of age. And uh, you see one picture there with my, my dad, one of the probably maybe the only picture I have of him and I, um, with him holding me and trying to change a tire. And then we had the farm accident when my dad was killed and the other picture is there of my mom and us three and and the horrible way she dressed us for my dad's funeral. Um, <laughs> but it fit in with the culture of the day, I guess. <laughs> so so anyway, there we are. And uh, that I believe that was taken the very day of, of the of the funeral, but um, I know a little bit, and I I had compared to a lot of other people, I had a great childhood, but I know what it's like to be raised, at least for a while, in a single parent home, and I know the longing of a child that just wants to have a dad. I, to this day, and I'm getting better and better at it, by the time I die, I might even be fairly good at faking it. (laughs) But to this day, I still struggle. Every time I meet a man of of feeling insecure and wondering if what's wrong with me or if I'm going to be able to measure up or or this or that, and I have to conquer that every single time. 
um, in my in my brain. It took me a long time to even realize what was going on and what through that process it has helped me a lot just to get to that point. But a lot of that comes from just growing up without a dad in the house um, and mentoring and apprenticing and all of those kind of things that sometimes a dad does in in the process of growing up. But I'm also very, very thankful for a church that, um, you know, I, I remember so much Elmer Olson. And there was a guy that was 60 years of age that every single Sunday morning he took time to talk to all three of us boys. And I remember Vern Golden talking to me. And I said something one day that he didn't think was of a good Christian worldview, and he flat out told me so and straightened me up and, and changed my thinking around on some things. And I remember Eugene Beeler. Uh, my middle name is Eugene, and I was named after him. But um, And my dad worked some with him. And he, he was the guy that took me when I became of age where I could do some work and worked me on the farm and told me if, I, if there was a hard way of doing something, I was sure to find it. <laughs> and taught me some of those kind of things, you know, and worked with me on the farm. And he was also the man that would step in when my mom had just had too many nights with us, three young kids, and he would give her a night off and he would come over by himself and he would stay at our house and put us to bed and do all of that. He was also the man that took me to father-son banquets at our church. His kids were about uh, 10 years older than, than we were, and, and uh, they were at that point of getting too busy to do things with Dad, and so he would come and do things with us and take us places and all of that. But I grew up in a church where the men of that church stepped in when my dad checked out. And I can't tell you, because I don't even know myself. The difference those men made in my life. I do know this. There are an awful lot of single parent homes and children being raised in single parent homes who need a Joseph to step in. And it may not be a big deal. It may be just a word of encouragement from time to time to that single mom or that single dad. It may be just a night of babysitting. It may be help with clothes. It may be help with some Christmas presents. It may be just helping them juggle all the activities and all the errands. It may be mentoring and apprenticing and coming along beside and teaching a, a young boy that if there was a hard way to do something, he had found it. And doing the real practical things like teaching them a trade. Or it might be just simply giving a break. 
to a person who is single-handedly parenting children and just stepping in. It may not be the whole thing like Joseph where he just stepped in all the way. But there's degrees that you and I can step in. And so today, I just want to close by by telling you that I believe that God wants... I want you to pray today. I want you to say, is there something, someone? What, what family can I step in this week and do something for this week? Now, many of you, that's real easy. Um, you already know the family. <laughs> You maybe already have been stepping in a lot. How can you step in? How can you be Joseph? How can you have the character of Joseph? And how can you step in to the challenge of Joseph and walk in and step up to the plate for someone else? There's people in our community that need you to step up to the plate.